Good morning. Today we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right. Good morning. Okay. So we had a, uh, a bit of a power surge, and we have one light here, up here, and one light there. So I'm going to try to stay here, but I will wander into darkness. <laughs> but as a child of light, I will stay, try to stay here. Um, so before we get going, um, I would like to address current events, if I could, if you would allow me my thoughts, um, because I've get, been getting a lot of questions about... Um, so what are we to do? Uh, we're in Seminole Heights. In case you didn't know, that's where you are right now. <laughs> the same one you read about on CNN. Um, and yes, there are things going on that are dark and scary. Um, and then two weeks ago, there is someone standing up in the middle of a church and shooting up a bunch of people. Um, and then yesterday, I'm reading on the news about many of our local churches who are literally putting up signs that say things like, we are heavily armed, and this and that. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I don't have like prepared things for this. I didn't write an essay with footnotes and stuff. Um, but I woke up in the middle of the night like, this is, we have to talk about it, at least, so before we get going today. Um, I, as a student of first century Christianity, that's, that's what I strive to understand and study, because it's close to Jesus. It's right there. I think they understood a lot more than we do about following Christ. Um, I have a hard time thinking that the early first century church, and I'm not calling anyone in particular, any, any group or anything, I'm, I'm just speaking from the heart here. I, I have a hard time picturing the first century church posting guys at the door with bows and arrows and swords and spears. Um, because they were afraid of, of death from some enemy coming in. The fact is, literally everyone was an enemy of a Christian in the first century. The empires in which Christianity has dwelled were the enemies of Christianity. Not in a violent, well, they were violent towards us. Um, but the fact that we're declaring there is one Lord and it's not yours, it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. Um, there is one constitution, and it's not yours. It's the Sermon on the Mount. There is um, one Lord. Um, and there are lots of... I, I've been approached by a lot of people in the last like, really few days saying, well, what's your plan? What, what's this? What's that? Um, and there are a lot of really serious emotional arguments that say, what about the children? What about, what about us? What about our, you know, what about our safety? Let me say, from a theological perspective, as a pastor, there are things worse than dying. Far worse. And I mean that. I think betraying our faith in Jesus and in the Scriptures and what the Scriptures say about how victory is won, I think betraying that is worse than death. I, I, I believe in the same way that God's people have, we don't trust in chariots and horses and, and 
weaponry. We trust in, in the Lord. We believe that somehow it is a mystery, it's a paradox, that somehow through allowing our bodies to be broken and poured out the way Jesus was, it brings salvation into the world. Um, I believe that our weapon is the cross, not the sword. I, I believe that this is how healing comes and that I believe that these are our brothers and sisters, even the ones against us. Um, I'm naive. Um, I, I, believe, I have faith in Jesus. I, and I don't think that that's the right path. Um, and the path that I feel oftentimes that evangelicalism is going down as we start to trust in things that are not Jesus, um, I believe that can lead to a, an eventual break from Christianity if it hasn't already. So... I'm not saying I have some big statement that, like, I have a plan. It's funny, whenever people ask Jesus what the plan was, what the answer was, he kind of answered with a question. Um, I would ask, is that, is that really the way of Jesus? Is that the answer the church has for the world, the same answer that they're giving us? Is that the answer? It's the same answer that they have. That can't be ours. There has to be another way. The fact that Christianity exists... Um, as an upside-down kingdom, that, that victory comes by losing, that power is displayed by serving, that the strongest, most powerful being in the world chooses to lower himself and become like you and I. That says something. And the fact that the hope of the world, we believe, is, is a first-century rabbi that was crucified by the empire, by the most powerful people with the most powerful weaponry, um, and that we are called to have faith and allegiance to Jesus. Um, so I, I don't claim to have an answer other than the gospel, but I don't think that's the answer. I'll say that. I don't think it is. Um, I'm praying every day for our armed forces, for our police officers who are trying to find this murderer. And, uh, I'm praying for wisdom and grace on all of you, um, that we wouldn't buy into what's happening that we, we wouldn't let them lead us down paths that Christianity has never gone until recently. And so with that, now that I've bummed you out, let's pray and talk about the evil one, the devil, shall we? <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I ask that you would speak through me, allow me to be um, uh, present and, and focused and honest and... Uh, allow all of us to be here and present and listening. I lift up all those who are suffering right now, who have lost family members, who are afraid. We call upon you. We ask for your wisdom and your strength. We ask for your shalom and your peace to rest upon us. We ask that you would help us to be a light in this world. I lift up our, uh, our officers. I pray for them. Give them wisdom and, and understanding and strength. I, I ask that, that this, this murderer would be caught alive, that he would find um, a better way that he would experience some form of redemption and reconciliation. Um, and I ask that through this, you would teach us what it really means to be followers of Jesus. Guide us, change us, bring us to places of repentance constantly. In your name, amen. So here's our passage today. Let me back up my notes. Um, we're finishing up the end of our, our, our sermon on our, our series, what turned into like a six-week series on the Sermon on the Mount, which wasn't supposed to be. Um, and so verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, 
I'm just going to jump uh, right into this. And uh, the word temptation is the word parazane. Everyone, parazane. Okay. Now, um, it is a word that simply means test. Um, we tend to bring in a, a negative connotation to the idea of temptation. Um, and it's not always like that in the Scriptures, actually. Uh, temp- temptation, the word parazane, the word test, is the same word that is used, I believe I have it here, in 1 Peter 4.12, uh, when it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. That uh, fiery ordeal, that's like the same word in there, parazane, um, translated differently um, and used to describe, as it did in the first century, it's used to describe molten precious metals that are melted and then the slag or the impurities rise to the top and then they're scraped off. So sometimes temptation, the testing is a good thing. Other times it's a bad thing. Um, God led Abraham up the mountain to quote unquote test and tempt him. Same root idea. Um, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Same thing. Being tempted is not in and of itself negative or wrong. Um, the, the weight of the word is captured and encapsulated in the sentence and the context in which it is used. Um, and so today's passage um, uses the word like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is a particular negative connotation on this particular usage, because it's talking about being ensnared by what is called the evil one. And that's actually what I want to take a few moments and talk about. Um, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub. Uh, there's like 25 other names in the Bible. Some of them are, I think one of them is like, is Lord of the Flies, right? I, think, I don't know. I'm a pastor. I should know these things. Um, um, so we're going to talk about this for just a second, the idea of the evil one, because I, I want to bring this up and I want to talk about this because um, we have a very sort of um, wide understanding here um, of Christendom. A lot of you have come from different traditions. Um, some of you grew up charismatic or Pentecostal. Some of you Baptist, Southern Baptists like myself. Uh, uh, some of you were raised um, Reformed tradition, Calvinists or Armenian, um, and some Catholics and some um, Lutherans and some Episcopalians I've met recently. Glad you're here. Um, and we all take communion every single week um, because we have to. Because that's what Christians do when we get together. It is the central thing. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. This is what brings about salvation in the world. The heart of Christianity. This is what we believe. And so if me and the person that I, that I like most disagree with in Christendom um, are standing across from each other at the communion table, we're both going to take communion. I'm going to look him in the eye. I'm going to say, you're my brother. The body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ spilled for you. And then we're going to debate. Um, <laughs> And so I want to talk about this. So, uh, so the Hebrew word for Satan, the adversary, looks like this. And you'll see it a lot through the Old Testament. Um, and depending on what tradition you grew up in, like if you grew up in mine um, that I grew up in, which was Southern Baptist, you, you sort of have an understanding that, um, or you, maybe you did, um, this was my understanding growing up, that there was this overarching narrative um, throughout scriptures that, that is consistent and understood um, that from beginning to end, you take basically all the different descriptions of this and you put them all together and then you have your theology. And that tended to be how I would uh, form my theology when I was younger. Um, uh, then I went off to theology school and I learned that there's actually another way of looking at this, which, which is more, a little more sectarian, where uh, throughout 
um, the history of God's people, there are sort of breaks and disagreances um, as tradition grew and changed and, and theological debate flourished in the synagogues. And what you come to find is within first century Judaism, there was five different um, sects of Judaism. And within those sects of Judaism, there was actually up to seven different sects of each one. So they would branch out and they would all sort of bring their own sort of influences and, and different ideas about the idea of Satan, the adversary, the evil one, evil in the universe. Um, and then a little later on, I learned um, another way to look at this, um, which is what I lean more towards now at this point. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, I'm, I'm always learning and I'm always looking back two years ago and saying, well, I don't believe the same thing anymore. And that's fine. That should be part of the journey. Um, progress, this sort of progressive idea, this progressive understanding that as things open up as we move forward. Um, toward the beginning, there was one understanding, and as things grew and it expanded, they sort of opened up and saw, oh, it's this and this, and oh, and down here there's this. And you can see this as you move through the Scriptures, this growing understanding of evil, of darkness in the world. Um, and so within this, there's all kinds of different ideas, even probably in this room. Um, many of you believe that it's a, it's a, a conscious person um, that you refer to as the devil, the evil, evil one. Um, others of you have a similar vibe, but, but it's sort of like added to this is this idea of sort of Satan and his demons um, and like these army of people instead of just one sort of omnipresent being. And then others of you have this, from other traditions, have more of an idea of like a dark force, like I guess, Star Wars kind of thing. Um, um, and so within this, there's all kinds of different ideas. Again, there's over 20 different names that this, thing, that this being is called and, and has all these different sort of... I, each one carries a different cultural connotation depending on when it is used. And it's fascinating to study. But ultimately, what we find is that there's not like this one cohesive known thing that we can point to and be like, there it is. It's all laid out. Um... We're not given really a, an origin story of evil. I was in a seminary class the other day hanging out watching a professor talk about um, theodicy, the, uh, you know, the problem of evil, and, and watching you know, freshman college students deal with this stuff that they've just never thought about. Um, and there's a lot of questions. And there's not this cohesive answer throughout Christendom. Um, but one, one thing I've found... Um, is that, uh, so I want to read a quote. Oh, so hold on. Let me, let me show you some things throughout Scripture to maybe open this up a little more for you. Um, in the, so this word for Satan, the adversary in the Old Testament, if you start off in, in, verse, in 1 Samuel 29, 4, what you see is it actually starts off with a very sort of um, in-the-world sort of idea. Um, 1 Samuel 20, uh, 29, 4 talks about how uh, there's this, this King David... Uh, he ends up joining the Philistines, his enemy, against this other, this other group of people whom he was a part of before. And they look at David coming in and they say, who is this guy? You, he's one of them. You can't let him fight with us, the Philistines, because in battle he will surely turn on us and become our, and then the Hebrew word is written there, for Satan, for adversary. He will become our Satan. Okay? A little later on in 1 Kings 5.4, you have David himself who calls someone else, Abishai, um, he calls this guy his, his Satan, his adversary, um, because he's working against to thwart his plans. And so the, sort of the, the ground level work is laid for, okay, the adversary works against, he's, he's opposed to. And then from here in scriptures, it sort of takes flight into the spiritual realm where you start seeing descriptions of um, other roles, cosmic spiritual roles 
for this word. Um, in Job 1, which is arguably technically probably the oldest book in the Bible, but we don't put it first for other reasons. It doesn't matter right now. Um, the, it says that it talks about the adversary or the Satan is listed among the sons of God as a prosecutor. So like literally in the place where God dwells with a role to play or something. Um, and there's a whole conversation there. It's fascinating. Read that sometime. Uh, Matthew 16, 23, um, Jesus uses the, uh, the, the Greek version of the word, and he, he basically calls Peter, one of his disciples, the oldest, technically most mature and well-read um, and the leader of the disciples. He calls Peter, he says, get thee behind me, Satan, and he uses this word. Um, the idea of the adversary, right? Because he's, he's laying out his plan. Here's how I'm going to... Um, Here's how I'm going to bring salvation into the world. I must die. And, and Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And he looks at Peter and says, don't fight me. Get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, so now in Revelation 12, 10, though, it then speaks of the sort of the cosmic spiritual one. Um, the adversary, the Satan of God, is the enemy of God is finally thrown down. Throughout scriptures, it's, there's a lot going on. Which is why there's so much diversity in Christendom about what exactly this darkness is. And I honestly, I think this is kind of the point, and I'm not alone in this. N.T. Wright, whom I probably got this from, because um, uh, I, I quote N.T. Wright at least once a Sunday. There's like a, a quota. You could play bingo with my sermons, probably. N.T. Wright, William Barclay, you could do that. Um, so N.T. Wright actually writes about this, and um, um, I believe this was from an, an interview he was giving where someone asked him about a theology of Satan or how we're supposed to think of it. And it's a brilliant. Uh, It says this. It says, The desire to name the forces of evil may be a desire to think that we can, having named them, have a sense that now we know who they are. We've got them in our sights. It's something called Satan, who does this, 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 and this. And now we know. So let's keep a watch out for that. Then before you know it, something else that is nameless and scary is happening. And this is how evil works. So there's this general idea in his theology and, and this is my understanding as well, and a lot of other biblical scholars have this understanding that um, all of our attempts as children of the Enlightenment to figure out exactly, we have to know everything, right? We have to be able, here's exactly what it is and how it works. And in our attempts to do this, we are always surprised by where we find the evil. Um, we are attempting to say, here's exactly what it is so that we can push it away and move on as if we are not taking part in it, as if it's not present in our lives, as if we aren't regularly working against Jesus. Um, If I were to poorly uh, um, draw this and illustrate it for you, it would look something like this. Um, Let's say you have this idea yourself in the center, and and you're here, and, and, and you can see the evil because it misses the mark. It's over there. It's way out there. Let's I mean, while we're being political, let's bring up mass shooting, shall we? Um, of course, you're like, no, don't do that. Well, here we go. Um, so we thought we figured this out a while ago. We thought we knew what this was. We thought we knew what terrorism was. It's, well, it's, it's Islamic Jihad, right? And we figured it out, and we named it, and we pushed it away, and we said, they're, they're bad, we're good, we figured this out. Uh, then another one happens, and they're, they're in our own country. And, and some of their ideas, actually, we share maybe here and there. I mean, what happens is whenever a mass shooting happens, what's the first thing that happens? Everyone gets on social media and starts stalking whoever the shooter was and finding out who are they, um, what political party are they a part of, what's their race, creed, origin, 
Um, what sex are they? What, and they, we, we have to figure out all the facts because we're trying to name the evil. And then we're going to name all the people who match this description and say, see, I told you they were evil. And we push it away from ourselves. By the way, your uh, social media news feed, do you know what it is? Do you know how it works? It is designed and created to every day have you wake up and scroll through it and look at a description of who is evil in the world and then think about how you are not that person. It is curated digitally and designed to make you feel like you are not part of the evil in the world. You should be careful with that. You should be regularly um, pondering how many miles of sort of self-glorification and idolatry you have scrolled through. You ever thought about that, how many miles you've scrolled on your... (laughs) That'll mess you up later. Um, So we're trying to name this evil. Oh, and then it gets closer and closer. And then like maybe the Las Vegas shooting happens and and they're just like, no, we don't know what it is. We can't find it. And we're like, well, no. And so we're just throwing out ideas, trying to name the evil because we have to be able to name the evil, right? We have to be able to describe it so we can say it's not us. Um, and then what happens uh, two weeks ago, uh, someone in a church shoots up a church and kills a whole bunch of people, including children. Um, and it turns out that he had been going to this church. He knew the pastor. Sounds a lot like you and I. And it gets harder and harder and harder to push the evil away and say, I'm not a part of this. Because what we're trying to do is keep ourselves from repenting. That's what we're doing. But eventually, I think we find that like, it's, it's not out there. It's here. It's in our hearts. It's in our souls. It's a, a part of, we've been taking part in it. The reason the first century church prayed this prayer three times a day was because of the weight of the ideas captured in it and how it was used to reform them in their hearts and their minds. Putting God in God's place, understanding what all of this is about, understanding even what our request should be, God, send your kingdom here on earth as in heaven. And then think, you know, I trust God to give me exactly what I need, my daily bread. Forgive me of the things that I've done and help me to forgive others. And don't let me fall into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. The the word deliver is the word reomai. It literally means um, escape. Help me to escape the clutches of the evil. That's a little bit of an admission that I do it too. Save me from this. It's all there. Um, Peter writes about this in his letter to his church. Um, his church, remember, uh, two years ago we studied the book of, of First and Second Peter. Um, Peter's church was being chased down by Rome by Emperor Nero and wiped out at the end of the sword. And in the midst of, of them just trying to survive and live as followers of Jesus in this terrifying world that they were living in, he writes to them about repentance, about how they need to be careful that they don't take part in the evil as well. And he writes to them in 1 Peter 5, 8, and he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, 
So you have two words here, uh, be alert and be sober. Um, all in all, those words, um, sober-minded, uh, single, it, 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 the idea is being single-minded, focused on one thing, conscious and alert and focused on one thing. Um, Jesus is Lord. That's the sober-mindedness thing. That's what we're focusing on. And then, and then there's like self-controlled, the idea of being alert, being self-controlled. Um, there's, there's a lot more weight in these ancient Greek words, but being self-controlled, being alert, being there, um, not being preoccupied with things you ought not to be preoccupied with. Um, but the problem is um, a, a lot of us are preoccupied. Preoccupied with the things of the world, with the things of, uh, that, that all the world is seeking power and opulence and fame and to make your mark um, and influence in a way that gives you glory. Um, a lot of people are preoccupied with getting wrapped up in earthly kingdoms that, by the way, the whole book of Revelation is about how the, that kingdom is going to fall. Um, so there, there is a sense in which um, you, you are taking part in building something that is just simply going to knock itself down. Um, and in, instead of Jesus being Lord and focusing on the eternal work of the kingdom. Um, and so a lot of people get preoccupied. There's this, um, so, so about two years ago, two or three years ago, I got like really into, for about three months, I got really into psychology and reading a bunch of psychology books. Because um, I kept like, I, would, I read one and it, was, it raised all these questions. And so I read some other books and it raised more questions. And I, eventually I was just like, I have to stop. So I stopped reading psychology books. But then I wanted to know the psychology behind that. <laughs> so I was reading all the psychology books, and I read about this thing called direct mental force. Um, and direct mental force, it was a really interesting thing, and I instantly saw it in my own life. For instance, I have no ability to find the thing I'm looking for ever, ever. My wife will tell you this. Um, if she's making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and she says, hey, hand me the jelly. Go to the fridge, get me the jelly. And I'll go, and I'll open the fridge and I'll look, I'll look, it's, there's no jelly. Yes, there is. I bought it yesterday. It's on the top shelf right in the middle. I'm looking at the top shelf right in the middle. It's not there. And then she says, it has a blue label and a blue cap on it. You see, when I picture jelly in my mind, it's got a red label and a red cap. And so, yeah, it's there, but, but it's not what I was looking for. Okay, so direct mental force is your brain's ability to, like, erase from your vision everything that is not the thing that you're looking for. It's a really unique, interesting thing that happens. It's the ability, like, if you're working on something and you drop a bolt on the ground and there's leaves and gravel, you know the shape of the bolt, you know, like, the size of it and the color of it, so your brain will... Fade out everything in your mind that is not that, and it will match and look for matching descriptions, okay? Um, that's the whole fun of, like, the Where's Waldo game. Like, everything's, oh, they're all wearing striped shirts. Makes it harder. Um, and so this is your brain's ability to do this. So, uh, for instance, like, if you're looking for something that is round in a whole bunch of shapes, your, your eye is just going to delete all the things that are not round, and you're going to, oh, there it is. Now, um, <clears throat> I would argue this direct mental force, like, th- this is very prevalent in our lives, it is, it, I, I think it takes a front and center role in our ability to actually see evil in our own selves. Because what we're trying to do is define and lay out exactly what evil is, um, to lay out and, and, and say, so evil looks like this, 
Evil looks like this. It wears this. It speaks like this. Um, it does this, and, it, and it, it takes part in this. This is the activities. This is the political party. This is this, and this is... And we're all naming the evil. We're all trying to. And your brain begins to um, ignore lots of things that you are a part of that are evil, that are wrong, that are adversarial to what God is doing in the world. Um, and this is prevalent everywhere. And if you go out looking for that particular thing, you've already got a, the, the framework built in your mind, you will see it and you will be able to distance yourself from it and it will keep you from ever having to repent of anything. The Lord's Prayer as it is given is meant to combat all of this. This is the spiritual discipline that it is, that it brings to the table. Um, I think a great way that I, I read from some theologian a while ago, I don't remember who it was, but it wasn't N.T. Wright. Um, I, I read it from some theologian a while ago, and, and it really helped me out, was to think about this. Think about, if you were to set a trap for yourself to cause yourself to fall, what would that look like? What would it be? Um, each of us are uniquely wired differently um, with our own sort of struggles and things that, that we take part in all the time. Um, and, and oftentimes we believe we can control these things. Um, but if I sit and I ponder, what are the things, what's the thing that would really bring me down? I, I think it's something that needs to be pondered by all of us. Because the fact is, and the sad truth is, many of you will be brought down by a thing that is already in your life now. Many of you. We live in an age, we are watching people fall left and right. Things that were already there. Things that existed. Unique traps set for them. We're going to talk about that in a little bit in a second. Um, but you know you. And this is something that needs to be pondered. Um, there, was a, there was an artist in, in New York City um, a few years back that was running around. Just he sort of it, I picture this in my mind. He's running around and he's doing these little art displays um, that, he, that he called the hipster trap. Um, it looks like this. And um, <laughs> the people walking by like, yep, that would catch me. Many of you would be caught. Do the camera alone. All right. Or the bike chain. Anyways, a little comic relief in the middle of a heavy subject. Um, so there's this guy named Thomas A. Kempis. Nice transition, right? Okay. So Thomas A. Kempis, um, he, he, he has a chapter in his book, Imitation of Christ, where he writes about um, temptation and how it works. And C.S. Lewis did a lot of work in this too. Thomas A. Kempis, I think, hit some brilliant points in his chapters on it. Um, and he quotes, he starts off by quoting this this poem that was apparently big in his time. We don't know where it came from. We have no record of who wrote it or where it came from, but it's apparently known in his time. And he reads this poem, and then he gives a commentary on it. And it goes like this. Check the beginnings once thou mightst have cured, but now tis past thy skill, too long has it endured. Um, so we got Old English, um, an ancient way of talking, and basically what's happening here is he's saying, there are things in your life right now that you're not paying attention to that you should, because they will grow, and they will destroy you. And you can take care of them now. You can take care of the sin that is in your life now. You can repent. You can change. You can follow Christ in a, in a more holy, true way. 
Um, you can rid your life of these things now. Or you can fight them and try to keep them from destroying you later. And then he keeps going. He says, little by little, the enemy enters in altogether because he was not resisted at the beginning. And the longer a man delays his resistance, the weaker he grows, and the stronger grows the enemy against him. Because it was not resisted at the beginning. And little by little, the enemy enters in. Uh, this is, I mean, this is, this is how it works. You wake up one day and you realize you've grown accustomed to something that is now a threat to you. So, I, we have three children, and when they were a lot younger, there'd be moments where we'd be like in a restaurant, and me and my wife would be talking, and we'd suddenly realize, oh, our child is screaming. He's been screaming for like five or ten minutes. <laughs> this is what happens. All you single people, and the baby's crying, the parents can't hear it. Um, they can't. And so, and you wake up like, oh, and you look around, everyone's looking at you like, oh, sorry, I, I don't even hear it anymore. They just scream so much. Um, or you're talking, you're, 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 you're in your house, like you have someone in your family, your spouse or your parents are talking to you, um, and you only noticed that they were talking to you because they stopped talking, which means they asked you a question, and you're like, and they're like, you're not even listening, are you? Yeah? And you're like rewinding the words that you caught on the end trying to say, okay, this is, this is the problem. This manifests itself in our souls spiritually. It's that moment when you wake up and you realize, I've, I've been drinking too much and I can't shake this. It's that moment when you realize, I've been taking part in this thing and it now, it now is taking its part in me. Um, I have been looking lustfully at I'm just allowing myself to for so long that now I'm at a place where I'm taking part in activities that are going to get me in trouble because I didn't tackle this thing earlier. And, and it's growing. The darkness is growing in me. Um, or maybe you're, you're, the marriage has been on, the, on a, a specific path for a long time and suddenly you wake up and realize just how bad it is. This is why we have spiritual disciplines. This is why we do the class. This is why we read books. This is why we talk about spiritual disciplines. Because you are disciples of Jesus. A disciple literally means a disciplined one. That is your role, to become a disciplined follower of Christ. To every day you pray this prayer and you awaken yourself to like, there are things that I need to take care of, and you repent of them, always laying yourself down on the altar again. Every single day. Scriptures call it a living sacrifice. Um... There's a passage in Ephesians. Oh, there we go. Did I go too far? No, we're good. Ephesians 6.12. I think this one is really important to understand um, as it pertains to our struggle against evil in the world because this can get off track too. The most well-intended things can actually bring you to a place where you are now taking part in in the evil in the world. Um, So Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in high places. The spiritual forces of evil in high places. Um, This is something the early Christians regularly talked about and regularly wrote about. The dangers of the power of the world. The dangers in taking part in it, in erasing to those places. Because um, being in positions of power is not evil. But when you rise to positions of power, especially positions of power in the world, um, 
you are open now to things which you were not open to before. You suddenly find yourself able to take advantage of people in ways that you could not before, able to um, benefit yourself in, in ways that nobody else can except for you. We are seeing this now over and over and over. Um, the epidemic of sexual assault by powerful men. How long, have, how long have women been telling us that this is a thing? Decades. Why did we not listen and see it? Because we had already decided what evil looks like. And rich white CEOs are not that. That's what we decided a long time ago. We are now awakening to the idea that evil is evil wherever it is found. Women have been telling us that this has been their experience for decades. We just haven't listened. We haven't wanted to listen. And now we are forced to face reality and ask ourselves the question, how have I taken part in this? Is there some way which I have allowed this attitude to flourish in my mind of treating women as some sort of subservient object instead of my peer? equal with me. We have let this grow and we end up where we are now. And that's just one thing in a long string of things that we need to repent of and that we need to see, that we need to be honest and we need to talk about. Um, The darkness in the high places is there. However, I want to make a warning to all of us to the church especially. Oftentimes, when those who are um, at the bottom rungs of society rise up against their oppressors or against those who um, in some way harm them or do some injustice, and and we call out the evil in the high places... It is a spiritual darkness. It is there. Jesus fought against it. Um, Jesus was tempted by it. Uh, How does the story go? uh, Satan takes him to a high place and shows him the riches of the kingdoms of the world and says, bow down and worship me. And Jesus responds and says, "Um, I will worship the Lord God. I will not bow down to you and receive this. Um, Do you know what worship is? At its simplest definition, worship is simply, if you break the word down, worth-ship. Giving something worth giving something um, weight and value. And it's asking sort of this question about what are you valuing? And Jesus says, do I value the power um, and, and, and the riches of the world? Because some do. Some of us do, and we, we don't really want to admit it, that that would be a great thing to have. And then Jesus says, um, I will give worth to my God. We understand God as Jesus. Now, the danger here is that in our battle against spiritual darkness in high places, we will band together and find out how strong we really are, um, and then we will become the oppressors. Happens all the time. Um, Revolutionaries, if you look at history, they tend to end up as dictators. Because when you receive power, you are open to other darkness. So, um, we need to remember who is Lord. Jesus is Lord a first century Palestinian Jewish rabbi 
um, who was killed by the empires, Lord. He's the one that we follow. He was the one with the wisdom who laid out for us how all of this works. And so in our zeal for cleansing the world, for, for like purging darkness, for bringing light into the darkness, the things that we sang about this morning, in our zeal for that, let us make sure we do not do evil in our anger that we do not sin, as Jesus puts it. Um, let us make sure that when we move forward, we understand that, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. These are our brothers and our sisters doing terrible things. We hate the terrible things. We should be striving for the health and restoration and reconciliation of our brothers and sisters. As hard as that is to hear, it is the biblical way. This is why historically Christians have been against things like the death penalty, because we believe in we believe no one is too far gone because we believe in resurrection. We believe the most dead things can be made right again and brought back to life. And so we pursue those. We don't throw people away. We pursue them and we reconcile them. And we do everything in our power, even if they won't listen, everything in our power to bring them to a place of reconciliation and hope. We have hope. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. There is hope. And so at every step as we move forward, at every step as we ourselves repent, at every step as we call people to repentance, um, as we are what we're supposed to be, the body of Christ, a prophetic voice to the world, saying, this is the way, this is not the way. Yes, this is the path of Jesus. This is not the path of Jesus. And Jesus is our guide in the whole thing. And like John the Baptist, we, we do call people to repentance. And sometimes there are consequences to be suffered from that. But we need to make sure that the power that we find in this is the power of Christ, the power of the cross, not the power of the sword. It is a danger. It is something that is there. Um, the prayer that we pray in the midst of the Lord's prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer is not, um, let me rise to a position of, of exuberant power so that I can wield that power in a way to bring change in the world. Um, the prayer is actually that the, that the kingdom of heaven would come down. And, and this lines perfectly in line with everything you see from the beginning of scriptures to the end. You see God, the all-powerful creator of all things, putting on human flesh and coming like you and me and standing. Okay, God heading down, lowering himself. And then you see Jesus lowering himself. He doesn't, he's born in a manger, um, not a palace. He doesn't spend time with the religious elite. He spends time with the paupers and the children, inviting the children, the lowest of the low, to come. Um, he makes disciples of men and women. He brings them all together. He teaches them, um, always lowering himself, even to the point of death on a cross, as the scriptures say. Then you have the apostles, those ones who learned this from him, and they are always heading down, down, down. They're, they're going into the world, and they're planting churches, and they're serving people, allowing their very lives to be poured out. Um, eventually, almost every one of the apostles, except for one, died a terrible, painful, horrible death because they followed Christ. That means something. Um, and, and then you have the church, which is supposed to be the body of Christ, the mechanism by which um, the message of God comes into the world. And so we serve people and we wash their feet and we work for reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, and we humble ourselves. The scriptures say, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know what humble is? You know what? At the center of this word humble, the root meaning of that word is dirt. In the word humble and humility is the word, the Greek word for dirt. And how does the Bible start with God handling dirt? What does he do? He breathes life into it. 
That's where it starts. We're not, we're not trying to ascend to the heights, okay? We're following Jesus down. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's victory is won by the death on the cross. It's hope, is come, hope enters into the world through the brokenness of our Savior. Resurrection can only happen if there is death first. This is how the kingdom of God works. And so at every step, every day, we awaken, we put God in God's rightful place. We put the mission in its rightful place, the kingdom of heaven here, on earth as in heaven. Um, we ask God, there are things I need now. Yes, I'm going to make them known. Meet them. I know you will. Um, we, we spend some time repenting of the things that we've done. Forgive me for this. Help me to make this right. Um, and then we forgive other people. And then we, we throw up one last prayer, which is, and Father, there are ways in my life in which I have taken part. Um, I have actually become, in certain ways, your adversary. I want you to rescue me from that. Save me from that. End it today. Teach me to repent. Pull it out of my life. And every day we are adjusting and making Jesus Lord again because at the end of every day, something else tends to, depending on what you're seeing on the news, sometimes something else will become Lord in your life. Don't let it happen. Pull it back off, put Jesus there again. It is the hope, it is the only hope that we have. Our answers for the world can't be the same answers they're giving us. They can't be. Then what are we even doing? There's no point to this if our answers are the same as theirs. And so let's spend some time in prayer. Um, we're going to take communion. Uh, communion service, you guys can take the elements and spread around the room. I want to invite all of you to take communion with us. Um, um, come to the table. There's grace for you. There's mercy for you. Um, the body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Christ was spilled for you so that you could find healing, so that you could find purpose, so that you could find resurrection. Um, and Jesus stands and Jesus says, now follow me. And so let's every single day learn to follow Jesus more in this way. Um, whenever you guys are ready, go ahead and spread around the room. And uh, I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Take some time and, and, and ponder this. Maybe work through the Lord's Prayer. Recenter yourself today before heading out into the world. Be light to our community. It is, it is in such darkness right now. It needs messages of hope, messages that are not led by fear and trembling. Do not be afraid. Be hopeful. There are things far worse than death. There are things far greater than you. Point people to those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Guide us. Give us hope. Let us be joyous and, and at peace. And let us dwell in your presence. Um, let people see that. Let it draw people um, to you, to your kingdom. Let your kingdom expand. Um, let the gospel be heard and known. Um, bring people to places of repentance in this world, starting with us. Thank you. In your name, amen.